When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call an 888 money pit. The money pit is presented by LL Flooring's Profiles Podcast. Now here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are here to help you take on the projects you want to get done around your house. So what are you working on this weekend? If it's a project you need a hand with, you're in the right place. Reach out to us with your questions by calling us at 1-888-MONEYPIT or better yet, going to moneypit.com, clicking the blue microphone button and posting your question right there. Coming up on today's show, did you know there is a right and a wrong way to load a dishwasher? I know so many people probably have, like, arguments about this amongst the family. Oh, my God. Utensils up, utensils down. It actually does make a difference, uh, saving you money and energy and actually making sure your dishes come out clean when you load them correctly. So we will walk you through and maybe uh, maybe solve some of that mystery. And when it comes to painting, the pros always have a few closely guarded secrets to making sure that that job goes smoothly. But we've got a few tips up our sleeves as well, and we're happy to share those time-saving secrets with you. And some of the harshest winter weather hits in February and March. Are you ready? We're going to have your snow survival checklist just ahead. But first, we want to know what you want to know. What are you guys working on? What are you planning to tackle these winter months while it's too chilly to get outside and do anything on the outside project list? So what do you've got for the indoors? Are you renovating a kitchen? Maybe you're just redecorating, thinking of updating a bath? Whatever it is, give us a call. We're happy to lend a hand. The number here is 1-888-MONEYPIT. Or better yet, post your questions on moneypit.com. Just click the blue microphone button. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Well, it's time to talk remodeling with Mary. We're heading up to Utica, New York to do that. Mary, well, tell us what you're working on. I have a uh, seasonal home, and it was from the 1960s, the early, all paneling and everything. My son right. took all of that down, right down to the studs and the ceiling and everything, and he would like to do away and part of it with the ceiling joist and go up to the rafters so that to make it look more like it has a um, open space all there, and right. I'm worried about the structural integrity of the place. Yeah, you definitely should be worried about that because you can't just take away the ceiling joists; they're keeping the, the walls from spreading outward. You need an architect to look at that and to tell you exactly how to accomplish this because you're going to have to make some structural uh, adjustments to make that happen. You can't just take away all those ceiling joists because the the outside walls will bow. Even if you put a collar up there? Well, I mean, you, you are going to put some sort of a collar tie across, but where you put that, how you attach it, what the width of that is, what the size of that is, those are all structural questions that have, that have calculable answers if you have an engineer or an architect spec it out for you. But other, to just guess at it is, is, is really risky. Oh, okay. 
It's also going to be harder to insulate, by the way, that area because your ceiling joists are probably not that deep. So it's very hard to insulate a, uh, a cathedral ceiling unless you use spray foam insulation. And if you do that... Yeah, I'm going to use spray foam on it. Yeah, if you use spray foam, and you're going to have to have a contractor do that, obviously. If you use spray foam, then you don't have to worry about the ventilation part of it, uh, and it'll be a much more efficient uh, uh, way to go. Yeah, I just thought maybe there was a rule of thumb of how far down you should put the collars. But apparently not. Yeah, that's going to depend on a lot of factors. So that's why you're going to have an expert look at it, okay? Yep, thank you. Good luck with that project. All right, bye-bye. Terry in Tennessee needs some help with a retaining wall problem. Tell us what's going on at your money pit. Yes. Uh, I have a, um, a leak problem from, from a drain on my back end of my house. I have a full basement, and it's um, um, heated and cool but I use it as a garage work area, et cetera. From my garage, there's a retainer wall uh, that goes past the end of my drive. It's about 20 yards long. I have two drain pipes at the bottom of that, and when it rains, well, mud is coming out, so undoubtedly it's stopped up, and I'm hoping that you can give me the name of some apparatus without digging out the whole entire back of the retainer wall. So the mud gets from behind the retainer wall and then comes out, the bottom of it on the low side, and what, runs down your driveway or something? Yeah, the retainer wall is right at uh, the end of my driveway coming up from the street to the end of the house. So the solution here would have been in the way the retaining wall was built to, to begin with, because behind the retaining wall, it sounds like there's a lot of dirt sort of pressed right up against it. The way to build this is... Dig down um, around the retaining wall, probably about two feet behind it. And then you're going to have stone that is about 12 inches uh, away from the retaining wall. Behind that, you'd have a filter cloth. And then behind that, you'd have soil. I'm talking vertically now. So Uh up against the retaining wall, you have stone. Right behind the stone, you have filter cloth. Right behind that, you have the soil. And so if you don't have something like that, and you're getting a lot of dirt that just basically turned into mud running through the wall, then that's going to happen. Now, I guess your question is, is it really worth it to regrade the area behind the retaining wall to put in the proper type of drainage, drainage stone and so on, uh, or do you just put up with cleaning your driveway every once in a while? I mean, for me, I, I, if I bought into a house that was like that, um, I'd probably clean the driveway every once in a while. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's almost a constant thing when it rains, but uh, when the drain pipe, of course, it was put all the way around the house, uh, the the proper drainage factor, like the drainage pipe, the gravel over the pipe, uh, the cover over that. So it was all, you know, done that way as far as uh, having that done. It's just over time, It's the house is 17 years old. Well, it started to to leak, and somewhere or another it filtered down into the the drain pipe, which drains past my driveway, or it did at one time anyway. Well, I mean, you could always, you know, rerun those downspouts so that they're not discharging that close to the house uh, and keep them, you know, well away. That that could help you a bit as well. But it really comes down to how that soil is put together behind the wall, if that makes sense to you. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that was my question, and I thank you so much for your help. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us in 888-MONEYPIT. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens, too. 
Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Now we've got Carol on the line from Oregon. How can we help you today? Well, I've got a problem I should know better, but I have rented to people with who brought in a puppy. Okay. And well, now see. I've got to deal with lots of uh, urine, fecal. It's damage uh, that's probably been on there too long, too deep, gone through the carpet, to the pad, to the subfloor. So... Uh, my question is, can the stain ever be removed? I'm thinking I should just take everything up. Um, my question would be what to put down new, replace the subfloor, solution, like people said something about kills and something like Z-Mix or something like well, that. Well, I mean, it really depends. If if you even want to attempt salvaging the rug that's there. I mean, generally with a rental situation, you're probably better off with a tile or a laminate floor just because of cleanability and then let the folks bring in their own area rugs. Um, but if you want to attempt to sort of get the stain away, get the odor away, there's a product that I used when I was training our dog who was untrainable for the first year. And it's on a website called Just Right, and it's R-I-T-E dot com. And it's called 123 Odor Free. And it's like a series of different products. One's a stain remover. One's an odor remover. And it sort of neutralizes through enzymes. And there's like an injector that you use to get through the carpet and into the padding and into the subfloor. And I kid you not, it works because there was a spot at the top of the steps that Daisy just loved and no problems to this day. So you might want to try that. However, if there is a lot of stuff to deal with, your best bet is probably to just pull everything off and you're right about wanting to seal that subfloor because if you don't put, you know, a primer, a good one on top of it, whatever you put on top, get a humid day and you're going to notice it. Yeah. So that's why, Carol, what you want to do is use an oil-based primer like a Kills uh, or a Bin. There are a number of different you know, primers out there, but I would use the oil-based ones for a problem like this because they're going to do a better job of sealing in odor. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if I do decide to put down a rug, because this is a house I would like to sell future forward, it's a nice house, uh, is there a type of rug that uh, can better be cleaned? Okay, yeah. It, it is from Mohawk, and it's a carpet that they call Smart Strand, and it's got built-in stain and soil resistant that's never, never, never going to wear off or wash off or clean off. And it feels soft and it's environmentally friendly because it's made in part with, you know, like a recycled plastic. And uh, I think it was last year at the Builder Show, Tom and I were at the event and they were just launching this Smart Strand product. And they had taken, 
you know, carpeting and carpeted the pen of an elephant at the zoo and left it in there for a year and then took it off, cleaned it and like, you know, brought a patch in and like had half under the cover of glass and half out. And there was like a little door that you could open up to the dirty side. And like you open that up. And of course, I didn't smell because I always do strange things like that. And uh, it like reeked horribly. And the side that was cleaned was beautiful, clean, soft, smelled fantastic. So I'm not really sure about the price point, but it is an amazing product and an available, you know, in a lot of different looks, different piles. So I, I would start with Mohawk there, Smart Strand. Okay. Thank you so much. Well, besides saving you from dishpan hands, a new dishwasher can save you more than 8,000 gallons of water each year, and it costs only about $35 annually to run, but there are things that you can do to make your dishwasher perform even better. First of all, don't bother pre-rinsing the dishes. I love this tip. Don't pre-rinse. Just put them right in there. Just scrape off the food. Let the dishwasher do the work. And instead of washing by hand, be sure to use the dishwasher for any plates, pots, pans. Basically, if it's dishwasher safe, it should go in there. Now, loading the dishwasher properly makes a difference, too. So check the user manual for illustrations on the right way to position dishes, utensils, glassware, and cookware so they'll get as clean as possible using the best feature settings. Yeah, and speaking of settings, most people tend to always use the same one. Now, if you have it, try using the eco mode instead, which will automatically optimize the features for reducing water and energy. If not, take time to match the setting to actually the type of load that you're putting in there. Don't just one size fits all. Really look at it. Now, besides detergent, it's really a good idea to use a rinse aid, especially if you live in an area with hard water. This will help prevent spots and streaks and makes the dishes dry faster. And to save even more energy, use the air dry setting instead of using the heated dry setting. Only use heated dry when you have to do several dishwasher loads in a row and just kind of want to move through that process quicker. Otherwise, always use just air dry. Yeah, and whatever model you have, always run the dishwasher with a full load, but don't overload it, and be sure not to block the arms or any other moving parts. I can't tell you how many times there's like one pan that blocks the little tray that opens up to release the dishwasher pod thing. Yeah, kids think if you stack the dishes in the sink, you should stack them in the dishwasher too. Not so much. So it happens, but (laughs) no, you'll get a hang of it, guys. Kevin in Texas is dealing with a dangerous situation. You've got water leaking through a light in your kitchen? I actually live in an apartment, but nevertheless, my concerns are, you know, obviously, you know, valid uh, mm-hmm. for my health and so forth. All of a sudden, water started coming through the light fixture in the kitchen, and uh, I threw down buckets and went up and knocked on the gentleman upstairs' uh, door and turned out his washing machine had gone crazy and had... Uh, put a bunch of water in my ceiling that most of which came right through the light fixture, point of least resistance. However, I can tell that it got into the rest of the ceiling. There's a place where this living room is bowed in, you know, with a stain, so I know that they got wet up inside there. And furthermore, the guy, uh, when he was made aware of it, apparently thought that it wouldn't act up anymore and actually turned on his washing machine again and went and stepped into the shower, and so it just, you know, leaked profusely until we could finally get his attention, me me and maintenance. You know, I mean, we're sitting there with shop vac buckets and mops and just shaking our heads. Wow. 
So it was a one-time event, so it wasn't an <laughs> ongoing leak. And I was wondering what my risks are of black mold. Is there a test? Is there a preventative? You know, what is, what's the story with that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, but here's the good news. A single leak like that that happened and then dried out is not going to become an ongoing mold problem. If it stays wet for a long, long time, and especially if it's in an unheated place, it's more likely to become a mold problem. But a single leak like that is not. Um, and also one more point, and that is you mentioned that your ceiling bowed if, and I hope it doesn't, but if that ever happens to you again, what you want to do is somewhat counterintuitive, but that is to poke a hole in the ceiling wherever you see that water starting to form. Because right. it's easier to fix a hole than it is to replace the entire ceiling, which is probably what will end up having to be done. But when you see water coming through like that, you know, what you should do is grab a screwdriver and just poke a couple of holes until you find the spot where the water just starts dripping out. The quicker you can right. empty that ceiling of water, the better off uh, you're going to be. And, you know, we had a problem like that not too long ago because of a piece of flashing that blew off our roof. And the first thing I did was took a Phillips screwdriver and poked three or four holes until I found the right spot. All that water drained right out, and all I had to do was fix those holes and didn't even have a stain on the ceiling when we were done. Wow. Yeah, that's good advice there. Uh, I guess I should have thought of that, but, you know, when you're renting, you're... Uh, yeah, bit, you don't know, and that's, do why that. I always, that's why I always <laughs> take the opportunity to mention it, because it's it's... First of all, you don't have the experience, because thankfully people don't get these kinds of leaks. Um, but secondly, it's very counterintuitive because, you know, you don't want to damage your ceiling. Well, it's already damaged once that water's behind it, and it's going to get a lot worse really fast unless you poke a hole in it. Good point, though. Good point. All right. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT, 888-666-3974. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit.
Catherine in Wisconsin is on the line with a soundproofing issue. Tell us what's going on. I live in a condo with a basement, and there's an I-beam that runs through the basement. And when I'm in the basement, I can hear my neighbors from two uh, houses down talking in their living room because their voices travel down the I-beam. Wow. So I was crazy. <laughs> so I was interested in covering the I-beam somehow. Uh, to reduce the noise, but I wasn't sure what the best way to do that would be. Well, there's a couple things you can do. First of all, can you can you frame in the the I beam so that it's like has something that we can attach a drywall to? Yeah, yeah, I could. I just wasn't sure what to what to do that with, or okay. if that would, so would help. So once you yeah, once you frame it in, there's a product called Quiet Rock, and it's okay. a soundproofing drywall. It's sold at Lowe's. It's pretty expensive. I mean, regular drywall is five bucks a sheet. Quiet Rock's about forty bucks a sheet. So it's pretty expensive, yeah, but, but you don't need a lot. If she can hear them, they can hear her. Yeah, but you don't need a lot. You know, you don't need a lot. So, so if you can frame in that beam, and you're sure that's where it's coming from, uh, you may want to think about uh, using Quiet Rocks to actually qu- uh, cover the I beam, and, and that should do the trick. Oh, really? So I wouldn't need to put uh, additional insulation between... No, insulation the... is insulation doesn't really work as a soundproofing okay. material. It's kind okay. of a misnomer to think that insulation works on a wall. It's cheap, but it really doesn't do much. The quiet rock absorbs the vibration of the sound, and I think that's what you need to do. Okay, great. And the quiet rock is, uh, is just spelled like it sounds? Yep, Q-U-I-E-T rock. If you go to... Uh, Lowe's.com, you can find it right there. And, and um, I, w- I was able to find it. I needed it for a project. I was able to find it right in my local Lowe's. Thank you. Bye. Pete in Illinois, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? Well, i got lime deposits in my toilets, and I've got probably five toilets in my house that I'd like to get them out of it. You know, they're around the, the upper part of the rim where the water comes out. Okay. And then down in the bowl, and I've tried lime away. And I tried a vinegar soak. Maybe I just didn't do it long enough, but I, I'd like to find a way to get the, those lime deposits out of there and get my toilets looking nice. Have you tried CLR? Yes, I have. You have tried CLR, and CLR didn't do it either? Didn't do it, no. Well, Pete, if the commercial cleaners like CLR and LimeAway are not working, there's a couple other things that you can try, but you have to be very careful. One of them is to use something that's abrasive like pumice, or like a rubbing compound. And you can try to abrade away the deposit. Theoretically, these uh, abrasives are softer than the porcelain, but you have to do Uh it very carefully. You don't want to rough the surface of the porcelain because if you do, it'll get dirtier that much quicker um, the next time around. Some folks also use muriatic acid. Mm -hmm. I don't like to recommend that because it's pretty harsh stuff. And, you know, you got to be super, super careful when you use it. But it is yeah. it is a possibility as well. And then, you know, the other thing that you can try is you did use vinegar, but I don't know if you mixed it with baking soda. Yeah, because that helps. That helps as well. You kind of make it into a paste and let it stand for a while, and then you rinse it. Okay. So there's a couple of additional things that you can try. I also found a great article online. Whenever you find an article from a university or an extension service, it's usually pretty well-researched. And if you just Google removing mineral deposits and North Carolina cooperative, you'll find it. And it's an extensive article that's a little old, but has a lot of great suggestions in it and specifically has solutions for the different types 
of deposits that you get on these fixtures, whether it's rust, iron, copper, you know, what kinds of stain it is and so on. That sounds great. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Well, when it comes to painting, the pros always have a few closely guarded secrets to making sure that the job goes smoothly. But we have a few tips up our sleeves as well, and we are happy to share those with you. Absolutely. So let's start with a key element of any paint project, the primer. Primer is what makes the paint stick, and it can also hide whatever you're trying to cover. So the pro trick is this tint that primer. Choose a gray or a color that's similar to the finished paint compared to the plain white primer. It does a much better job of covering up the existing paint color, so the finished coat will be more vibrant and may even require fewer coats. All right, you gotta love that. Now, here's how you avoid those ugly brush marks. The secret here is mixing in a paint extender. It's also called a paint conditioner right into the paint. And this is gonna do two things. First of all, it slows down the paint drying time and that's gonna give you a longer window to overlap those just painted areas without getting ugly lap marks that happen when you paint over dried paint and then darken the color. Secondly, paint extender levels out the paint so brush strokes are virtually eliminated or mean, or at least a lot less obvious. That makes a big difference. Now, next up, let's talk about protecting your floors and furniture. That is definitely a key to success. So you're thinking, well, I'm just gonna cover everything with plastic tarps, right? Well, plastic is a totally amateur move, and here's why. Plastic contains the spills, but it keeps the paint wet for a long time, so it usually ends up on your shoes and then gets tracked all over the house. Instead, use canvas tarps. They're not as slippery, and they absorb splatters, but it's still a good idea to wipe up any large spills so they don't bleed through. Now, what about when it comes to actually putting the paint on the brush? Well, there's a trick there, too. So to get the most mileage out of a single fill-up and make fewer trips to the paint container, pros take a load-and-go approach. Now, by contrast, homeowners often go with a load-and-dump approach, which means they drag the loaded brush along the sides of the container and then wipe off most of the paint right off the brush. It doesn't do any good to dunk your brush and paint and then immediately remove it. Yeah, and finally, here's a great trick for using painter's tape to stop that paint from bleeding through Do a thorough job of adhering the painter's tape before you start. So after you apply the tape, run a putty knife over the top to press it down for a really good seal. And if you do that, your project is good to go, and you came out just like a pro. Clara in Minneapolis, Kansas, is on the line with a dryer venting question. How can we help you? Our dryer is in the basement. Is the beginning part of the problem. So when we hook it up to the vent, the vent goes straight up. How far up does it go? Well, it's probably eight foot. Okay. And then it goes vertical, I mean horizontal, um, probably about 25 feet to the back side of the house, and then that's where the exhaust comes out of the house. Mm -hmm. And we can get part of it cleaned. Is it a metal um, exhaust duct or a plastic exhaust duct? It's a metal. Okay, good. Perfect. We've got a solution for you. It's called a uh, Gardas Lint Eater. And it's a special brush that fits inside the dryer exhaust ducts, and it's on fiberglass rods. And so it's flexible. You, it's flexible. And so what you do is you start with like three foot or six foot of the fiberglass rod. You hook it up to a drill, and the drill is what spins it. You run it into the duct, pull it out a couple of times. Then you add another length of fiberglass and another length of fiberglass rod and so on. And it's the coolest thing because yeah, it's fun. you will be amazed, both, I should say, amazed and disgusted at the <laughs> amount of lint that is going to come out of your vent the first time you do it. I imagine. Just Google it, lint eater.
Okay. Lint, E-A-T-E-R, and you'll find it. It's a really handy tool to have. Once you have one, you can, you know, use it a lot. You can do it from the outside. They've got other attachments that help you get in closer to the dryer and so on, but it's a, it's okay. a great product, okay? Yeah, and you know what? Okay. If you don't do it, you really need to be careful because all of that lint is sort of just building up in there, and it could be a fire hazard, so you really do have to get on this. Yeah, that's what we were concerned about. And that's actually their website, too. It's linteater.com, so check it out. Okay, that sounds great. All right, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. You know, that's such an important thing to do, Leslie, because there's a lot of fires that happen in homes mm-hmm. because of dirty dryer exhaust ducts. So it's funny, I was keep it clean. just noticing, you know, the lint buildup in my driveway again. I was like, ah, oh, it's time. <laughs> it's time, time again. to get out there. Yep. Jeff in Missouri's on the line and needs some help with a patio project. What are you working on? I... Really already got it done, but I failed to put a sealer on my patio, and I was wondering what I could do about that at this late date. It's been poured about six months. So why do you want to put a sealer on it? Because the leaves and the grass stain it. <laughs> you could clean it. You could use a trisodium phosphate solution to scrub it and clean it and brighten it up again, but then you have to wait till it's really dry. So doing this in the chilly weather is not a good idea. You want to make sure it's super dry. And then you could add a concrete sealer on top of that. The concrete sealers that you, you want to make sure you get are ones that are vapor permeable. And that means that the moisture moves in and out. You don't want to completely seal the brick because then what will happen is the moisture will still get in it, but it will freeze and start to break apart or spall, as the technical term goes. So if you get a good quality concrete sealer and get it clean to start with, certainly you can uh, reduce some of that staining going forward. Good. And what do you call it so it breathes in and out? Vapor permeable. I appreciate that. Thank you for that, you guys for what you do. Well, some of the coldest temperatures of the year hit this month and next month as well. So make sure you're prepared. The first thing you want to do is make sure you got a good snow shovel. Now, in our part of the nation, we don't ever get so much snow that my snow shovel never really wears out. But a couple years back, I decided to upgrade, and I found a sturdy metal shovel with an ergonomic sort of bent handle. And that made it really easy to use and was a heck of a lot easier on my back. Yeah, and now once you've got that snow clear, it's time to tackle the ice. So rock salt is the most popular for melting ice, but it can be hard on your plants and especially the sidewalks. Now, you're better off using a de-icing pellet that are non-corrosive. Plus, there's liquid products available now, like what we see snow plows putting down. You're also going to want to pick up a can or two of like a WD-40, like a spray lubricant. It's really great for de-icing those frozen locks in your house and in your car. And if you spray your shovels before you start shoveling all that snow, you'll see that snow is going to kind of slide off faster. So lots of good uses there. Finally, be sure to protect your hands. Now, gloves have changed a lot since the ones that we used to wear years ago and kind of made our hands sweat. Look for pairs with three layers, a waterproof outer shell, an insulation layer that extends up to your fingertips, and an inner liner for wicking away that moisture. That wicking element, that is so important Make sure your hands stay warm and comfortable when you're outside in that cold weather. Kathy in South Carolina, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? I have a problem with the squirrels chewing into my roof. Okay. And I was wondering, how can I, what can I repair this with and what can I put in there to keep them out? Now, where are they chewing in? Are they chewing through the trim or the soffits, trying to get into the attic space? Or what's the story? Well, they have gotten into the attic space. The holes, are you repairing those holes, or what are you doing? No, I was 
calling you to see how you could help me because I listen to your show all the time and you give such good advice. Well, if they get into your attic, you can trap them and release them. You can use something called a have a heart trap. And this is a trap that is a wire cage with a trap door. And the way to bait it is to take an apple and put it in the far end of the cage and wire the apple to the cage. Don't just put it in there. But usually I'll take like a a hanger or a piece of picture frame wire or something like that, and I'll thread thread it through the apple and wire it off so that it can't bounce around. And if they're in the mm-hmm. attic, they'll come looking for that food. They'll get trapped in there. Then you can pick the whole cage up and take it far away from your house and then release them. And believe me, as soon as you lift the door up, they're like out like a they're like gone. a light. They just fly right out there and they'll take off. They want nothing to do with you, so it's completely safe. Now, in terms of those holes, you have to repair them. Now, you can put uh, if it's a small hole, you could put steel wool in it or something like that. But if it's a bigger hole, you really should simply rebuild it or repair it, whatever it takes. So if it's you know it's wood or if it's vinyl or if it's metal soffit material, you really just need to completely uh, rebuild that. And then the other thing I'll mention that seems to have been pretty effective over the years, and that is if you were to put mothballs down your attic, uh, that does seem to have a deterring effect on the squirrels as well. So if you spread them... Mm-hmm. It will, though... That odor does seep into the house, so don't go crazy yeah, with it. Right. You sprinkle them in there, yeah, especially along the eaves. But is there anything else I can put up there uh, to keep more from coming in? Well, we want to identify the holes and get those fixed. It's really an entry issue. You've got to basically close the door on them here. And so if we can identify those holes in those entry points and seal them up, then then you shouldn't have a problem with squirrels. They don't naturally live in the attic, but they're obviously finding a way into your house. Um, if mm-hmm. you're not quite sure where they're getting in, uh, you obviously can't get in there, up there, to kind of look that closely. Then work from the street level, walking around the outside of the house and looking up. Try to get a pair of binoculars or bar- borrow one and see if you can spot the holes where they're getting in. But that's what has to be closed up. Okay, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. You're very welcome. Well, Sean wrote into Team Money Pit, and he says, I'm looking to get rid of a poorly made sunroom addition and hire a contractor to put on a new one. To save myself a few thousand bucks, is it safe to do my own demolition of this and the old deck? Any tips? I know I have to turn off the power to the outlets and the lights, but other than that, it should be straightforward starting at the top. Gravity sucks. <laughs> That's the first tip that comes to mind. I mean, look, uh, demolition is not difficult. It's a lot of labor. But if you get it wrong, there's a couple of bad things that can happen. You know, you don't know exactly how the circuits that go there are wired. You don't know if there's any plumbing involved. When you take it off, you may be exposing some parts of your the rest of your house to allowing the weather to get in. So, you know, it's not may not be as straightforward as you see, and it also can be somewhat dangerous as you start to disassemble a structure. Remember, you have to keep the weight under that, and you have to make sure that every piece that's removed gets down safely to, to the ground. So, you know, it may sound easy, Sean, but I'm telling you, it's, it's a lot of work. So, I mean, and also I will say this, a few thousand dollars sounds like a pretty expensive quote for taking out a uh, a sunroom addition so you may want to rethink that but i i would tend to say that it's not 
a job for a, uh, a novice DIYer because there's a lot that could potentially go wrong. All right. I hope that helps you out, Sean. It is a big project. Also, think about how are you going to get rid of everything. You know, your normal trash is not going to take it. So you've got to figure out how and where to dispose of everything properly. So that's another factor to consider. Yeah, that's a good point because you're going to have to rent a dumpster and that's going to cost you some bucks. Or bring it to, you know, the, the local dump or, you know, the municipality dump, whatever it is. But that's going to cost you some money. You're going to need a special vehicle for it. So there's a lot of other stuff that goes into the demo. All right. Now we've got one here from Ed who says, my concrete driveway is on a slight slope. The end expansion joint has begun to widen to about half an inch. The driveway is approximately 10 years old. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, that's a pretty um, common occurrence, Ed. So what happens is, of course, you know, over the years, the slabs start to separate and pull apart. And you can get water under there and that can actually lead to more cracking of the driveway. So this is what I would do. I would remove any spacers that are left in that in that spot. Sometimes you'll see uh, like a black spacer in there. I would dig that out, clean out that slot so it's basically empty down, you know, the four-inch thick of the driveway. I would basically clean that out. Then I would use a foam tube. Now, you'll find these in home centers. You'll find these wherever mystery products are sold. You basically compress this, and you stick it into that gap, and you leave it down about an inch from the surface, and then you use a sealant on top of that. The tube basically stops that sealant from falling down to the bottom of that joint. And so once it's in place, you can go ahead and put a sealant on top of it. And then once it dries, it will expand and contract with the driveway and prevent the vast majority of water from getting down there. You might still get a little bit, but that's really the way to fix that once and for all. All right, Ed, I hope that works out for you. Having a beautiful driveway, I mean, just one that's well-maintained and, you know, even just updated slightly is so fantastic. It just sharpens the look of the house. So if you take care of that crack, it's going to be great. You are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show on this chilly January day. We hope that you are enjoying the program and picked up a tip or two to help you as you move about improving your house. Remember, if you've got questions, we would love to hear from you and we'd love to help you with your individual project. You can call us 24-7 at 1-888-MONEYPIT or simply post your questions at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. 